Church family, today we are starting a new message series, a three-week message series called Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faith. 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 Do you ever say a word or use a word so often that it loses meaning for you? When we are preaching a message series called Faithfulness, does that do anything for you? Does that excite you? Or are you excited about the next three weeks to learn about faith? Maybe you've been a Christian for a very long time and you have heard this word a million times. And because you've heard this word a million times, it has just lost all meaning for you. My prayer over the next three weeks is for all of us to be reinvigorated for exactly what this concept means. Faith and faithfulness. The real question for us as we begin this series this morning is, do you have faith? Because friends, we sing about it on Sunday mornings. We pray about it. If somebody asked us, do you have faith? Most of us in this room would probably say, yes, of course. How dare you ask me if I have faith? I go to church on Sunday mornings, don't I? Do you really have faith? Over the next three weeks, we are going to look at how God doesn't just want to do miraculous and impossible things for us. God wants to do impossible and miraculous things through you. And today, speaking about the miraculous, we are going to use as our scriptural foundation the story of the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000, we're in John, the gospel of John chapter 6. If you have a physical Bible or if you have your online version, you may follow along with me. We're in John chapter 6 with the feeding of the 5,000. Now, thousands of people are miraculously fed, and a lot of people would say that's impossible. In fact, if you are new with us today, if you're not yet a Christian with us, you might look at everything that's in the Bible and say, hey, this is all fiction. Of course, miracles don't exist. Stick with us. Stick with us. There's a lot of people that would say this is impossible. One of Jesus' own disciples is going to say that this is impossible, but that's what miracles are, aren't they? Just a little Bible trivia for everyone. This is the only miracle, short of the resurrection, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four Gospels. It's in every Gospel. Charles Spurgeon writes this, This story is in all four Gospels so that we don't forget how much the Lord can do with little things that are yielded to Him. Little things that are yielded to God. I think that is a tremendous definition of the word faith. Let's walk through this account together. John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after the events that just occurred, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. They crossed the Sea of Galilee. Now, just for reference, this is about two years into Jesus' ministry. Jesus has been performing miracles. He has been teaching. He has been loving his community and his neighbors for the last two years. And Jesus, by this point, is rather famous for it. At this point in his ministry, he's traveling across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. Let's continue. 
a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. A great crowd followed Jesus. Why did the great crowd follow Jesus? Because they saw the miracles he performed. Specifically regarding healing the sick. Now notice that John doesn't write, the crowd followed Jesus because they believed that Jesus was the Son of God and they believed everything that Jesus said and they wanted to become disciples of Jesus. John said they wanted to follow Jesus for the miracles that he could perform for them. This is the crowd we're talking about. We see all throughout the three years of Jesus' ministry, a lot of people followed Jesus. Now, if you read all of the Gospels and the Gospels in their entirety, what you'll see is that the large crowd typically was only following Jesus for the quick fix. And that's really the case. Most people were not interested in following Jesus to become disciples of Jesus Christ. Most people were following Jesus for the quick fix. And then I look at the church today and I wonder. And I wonder where we are in all of that. The crowds versus the disciples is the same correlation between being a fan of Jesus Christ and having faith. In Jesus Christ, and I wonder where we are in all of that. This is a message series on faithfulness. Let's continue. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Jesus went up on a mountainside. The Jewish festival of Passover was near. Very interesting imagery here. Jesus on a mountainside and it's the Passover festival. Do you know the origins of the Jewish celebration of Passover? It had its foundations about 1500 years before this event that we're reading about today in Egypt, where the Israelite people were slaves in Egypt and God led them out of Egypt through a prophet named Moses. Moses to this day remains one of the most dynamic, one of the most well-loved and important prophets in the Jewish faith. Moses, Moses, Moses. Moses famously went up on a mountain to receive the law of God. Moses is the one who famously called manna or bread down from heaven. Moses said this around the year 1500 BC, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, better than me, from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. This prophecy was made in the year 1500 BC. Who was that prophet? It took 1500 years for this particular prophecy to become fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This prophecy was clearly fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And now John is helping us connect the dots between Moses, a most beloved figure in the Jewish faith, and Jesus Christ, the bringer of the new covenant. Let's continue with verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Philip in particular, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat. Hey, Philip, where should we buy bread for all these people to eat? Now, let's pause here for just a second. 
Could Jesus have called bread down from heaven? Yes, it's very important for, for us to understand that Jesus could have snapped his fingers and he could have called lobster dinners down from heaven. He absolutely could have done that. Moses did it, couldn't Jesus? Yes, he did. Or yes, he could have. But he didn't in this particular case. He leans over to his buddy Philip, nudges him, and says, Hey, Philip, how in the world are we going to feed all of these people? Philip said, Hey, no problem, Jesus. I have faith in you. And that's where the story ends. Oh, shoot. No, that's not what it says at all. Jesus asked Philip only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I love this about Jesus. He already had in his mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. I'm going to read that how I imagined Philip said it. It would take half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Don't laugh. You would have done the same thing. I would have done the same thing. Hey, listen, <clears throat> this, this, this story is traditionally called the feeding of the 5,000. That's not a great title for this. It was 5,000 men who were there. Now, inevitably, these men, some of them would have been married, some of them would have had children. So we're not talking about feeding 5,000 people. We're talking about feeding probably closer to fifteen to 20,000 people. So in Philip's defense, and for context, if you're a hockey fan, the PPJ Paints Arena can hold about 20,000 people. Imagine sitting in PPG Paints Arena. I wish they would come up with a better name for that, too. <laughs> The Console Energy Center, PPG Paints. What's, what's Heinz Field called now? Acroshore Stadium. What? I, I understand corporate sponsorship. This isn't in the script. We don't have time to do this today. Imagine sitting in PPG Paints Arena, looking at all the other 20,000 people around you. And if they don't start winning, it's going to be a lot less than 20,000 people. But imagine it's filled at capacity, 20,000 people. And your buddy leans over to you and say, hey, the concession stands all ran out of food. How do you think we should feed all of these people? Your response and my response would be the same as Philip's response. You can't possibly tell me that you expect us to feed all these people. One, the logistics of that. How in the world are we going to get the food? And even if we had the food, how could we afford to buy the food for 20,000 people? Jesus, this is impossible. It can't be done. Now, that's a very interesting thought from Philip. Because Philip had known Jesus for years and had seen Jesus for years. Can you imagine what Philip had seen with his own two eyeballs? He had seen miraculous healings. He had seen demons come out of people. He had seen the multiplication of food and drink before the turning of water into wine. Philip had seen that. All, at least he heard about it. And Philip is probably somebody who, if you would have asked him if he had faith, he would say, of course I have faith. How dare you ask me if I have faith? I follow Jesus, don't I? Like a lot of us today would say, I have faith. How dare you ask me if I have faith? Let's see. Let's see if Philip has faith. And by the way, that's why Jesus loved this whole scenario. For Jesus, this was an opportunity to demonstrate two very important things. One, if Philip really did have faith, and regardless if Philip had faith or not, 
to show what God can do with faith. Jesus is going to show if Philip really does have faith, and regardless, he is going to show what God can do with faith. Philip was given a test. He failed his test. Philip failed this particular test because he sold God short. Philip sold God short. He sold himself short. And God forgive us for all of the times where we sell God short. But that's okay. Because Jesus' lesson in faith is not over yet. And the master is going to teach us students. Carrying on in verse 8. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? (laughs) This is a lesson on faith. This is a lesson on faith. Philip said, we can't do it. We have nothing. Andrew said, we have something. One of them said, we have nothing. And isn't that like human beings? We have nothing. I can't do it. We can't possibly do it. But Andrew said, at least we have something. And friends, I want to tell you today that that is all that faith requires. What did Jesus say about faith and what kind of a seed? A mustard seed. If we just had faith the size of a mustard seed, you and I could walk on water, you and I could move mountains. That's the thing about faith. It just requires something. Faith isn't the grand gesture. Somebody needs to hear this today. Faith isn't raising somebody from the dead. Faith is not feeding 10,000, 15, or 20,000 people. That's God's work. God will do that. All that God needs from us is a little faith to work those miracles through us. Philip said they had nothing. Andrew said we have something. And that's all faith requires. That's all God needs is something. Now, in all of their defenses, it wasn't much. What did they have? If they were doing the human thing and they were taking an inventory of everything they had, okay, Jesus wants us, hey guys, Jesus wants us to feed 20,000 people. Let's list our assets. What are the assets? One small boy, one little boy in the original Greek, it's a paideon. It's, it's a small, it's a little boy, emphasis on little. With what? What do you have? Five loaves, little loaves, (laughs) and how much fish? Two fish, a little fish. He had a lunch. They didn't have a lot. It wasn't a lot, but it was something. And God, God can work with something. God can do big things with a little faith. This is a 2,000-year-old story, and I know for a lot of people, it's hard to wrap our minds around a 2,000-year-old story. I'd like to introduce you to a little boy from our congregation. Some of you may know him who is allowing God to do big things through him and his lunch. Well, that's anticlimactic. (laughs) 
is an absolutely tremendous, tremendous story. talking to my dad in the car we were talking about going over scripture so I was thinking about doing this Bible study at school so I had my Bible I had a couple devotionals so I went to school got a group of friends and we went to the back room and I printed out some um, Bible verses and we started going over them Miss Debbie gave me this book, Make Waves by Ellen Moore. It's a devotional, and me and my friends go over it. Each day we do like an activity and read over it. My dad told me that when you touch someone with the love of God, it plants a seed in their heart so the Holy Spirit can um, move with them. I did get a little afraid but then when I started asking people, it was much easier. Like a lot of people were like, hey, I don't go to church, but who cares? There's always been a smile on their face and they, they loved it. Even if we have nine, even if we have two, even if we have one, it's still fun. I hope that by the end of the year, I get at least four people, kids to come to um, Charter Oak. I see it as an opportunity because in elementary school, there's one class and you get that opportunity because in middle school, there's not gonna be a lot of opportunity to, to opportunities to do this. Very fun and I get all my chances that I can to show the love of God to everybody. You know how old Liam Bitts is? He's 10 years old. He's a, little, he's a little guy. He's a little slight guy. Skinny. Skinny dude. Hockey player too. He, man, he, he must be a fast hockey player. But what's he do? He, he, he started a Bible study in his school during lunch. That's all he did. He started a Bible study at his school over lunch. This isn't a parable. This isn't a made-up story. This isn't a historical account from 2,000 years ago. This is a 10-year-old child among us who's leading the way for us, I hope. I hope he's inspiring us. I hope he's leading the way because there are so many adults that find it impossible to talk to their neighbors about Jesus Christ. They say, I can't do it. I don't have enough. I don't have enough scriptural knowledge. I don't have enough. I don't have enough. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's impossible. And here's a 10-year-old child who, who just said, I'm going to start a Bible study at recess. That's it. I don't have a lot. I have a Bible. I have myself. But I'm going to pass along the gift of everlasting life to as many people as want to hear about it. Because nobody told him that he shouldn't be doing that. The world hasn't gotten a hold of Liam Bits yet to coach him to say that, hey, you really can't do this. 
you really should be selling God short. Nobody has told him that. In fact, his parents and his grandparents and his church family are telling him just the opposite. But I wonder in which ways that we are selling God short in our lives. God, forgive us for all the times that we sell you and ourselves short. And may a 10-year-old boy lead the way for us. Let's continue in this 2,000-year-old historic account. Verse 10, Jesus said this, Have the people sit down because I am going to show you exactly what faith looks like. Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Jesus is the one who took that lunch and distributed it among 20,000 people. We are not responsible for the miracle. Liam Bitts, by the way, isn't responsible for his classmates accepting Jesus Christ. The only thing Liam is responsible for is opening up the Bible and talking about it. We are not responsible for the miracle. God just wants to work through us. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But do we believe it? We don't provide. God provides. Jeremiah writes, O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. Nothing is too hard for you. God, forgive us when we sell him short. God, forgive us when we sell ourselves short. But the world is really good at helping us see that. The world is really good at coaching faith out of us. You don't really wake up early on Sunday mornings to go to church, do you? You, you don't really go out of your way to serve, right? You don't have time to do that. You don't have time to study your Bible or pray during the day. Your life is way too busy. And there are more important things to do than study your Bible and pray. You can't give, right? Do you, do, do you really give 10% of your income to church? You don't have to do that. You don't have to love your neighbors. You don't have to forgive, right? You don't really believe in miracles, do you? Do you see how the world loves to condition faith? out of us. It's what the world is best at. The world helps us to understand that we can only believe in what we see. That's the way of the world. The only thing that exists is what you can see in front of your own two eyes, but that's not faith, is it? Watchman Nee wrote, the meaning of need, the meeting of need is not dependent on the supply in hand but on the blessing of the Lord resting on the supply. It's not about the supply in hand. It's not what you can see in front of you. It's about God's blessing on the little you have. But do you believe that? 
Do you truly, truly believe that? Philip said he had nothing. That's what he believed. That's the trap we're all tempted into. I have nothing. I can't do it. If you have Jesus Christ, you have everything you need. Do you believe that? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Let's finish this account up. When all the people there had enough to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets, 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. This, this isn't just a story about satisfying hunger. This isn't just a story about filling empty bellies. This is a story about true satisfaction. Please believe that this is a story about true satisfaction. Here's faith. Do you believe that you need Jesus Christ more than you need bread and water? Jesus declared this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's a bold statement. Not just to read this, not just to pray about it or sing about it. It's a bold statement to say, Lord God, I understand that I need you more than I need water and more than I need food and more than I need oxygen. I need Jesus Christ more than I need those things. That's a bold statement, but that's faith. Do you have that kind of faith? It is a bold statement to reject the way of the world completely for the way of Jesus Christ. But that's faith. Do you have this faith? It is a bold statement to understand that God wants to perform miracles through you. God wants to perform miracles through you. It's a bold statement. It's bold to believe that. But that's what faith is. Do you have this kind of faith? What I really want to ask you is, do you have the faith of a 10-year-old boy who is leading his classmates to eternal life? Church, if, if, the, if the 50 or 60 people in this room had that kind of faith, we would, we would be able to transform this region very, very quickly for Jesus Christ, not for our own benefit, but for Jesus Christ. There are 68,000 people in a five-mile radius of this spot. 68,000 people within a five-mile radius of where we are right now. Many of them have not tasted of the bread of life. And I wonder, church family, what we are called to do to feed our neighbors and to feed our children. The grandest miracle that God wants to work through us is to feed our neighbors. Not just food, not just water, but to give them the bread of life. Let's pray about it. Father God, thank you for letting the children lead the way. The children in their innocence, the naive children, Lord God, that have 
not yet understood that the way of the world is to not have faith. Father God, the children who have not yet been told about the impossible. Father God, if that's not being naive, I pray that we all remain naive. Because, Lord God, miracles do exist. The impossible, Lord God, in your kingdom is commonplace, but no less extraordinary for it being common, Lord God. You desire to work miracles every day. God, forgive us for the times where we look out into the world and say, God, where are the miracles? Why aren't you performing miracles? Father God, your miracles are worked through us. You want to partner with us. Jesus, you could have snapped your fingers 2,000 years ago and fed all of those people whatever you wanted to, but you wanted to use us. And so, Father, forgive us for all the times that we sell you short. Forgive us for all the times that we sell ourselves short. May we consume the bread of life, and, Father God, may we multiply the bread of life to everyone who's hungry. And it's in your precious son Jesus' name that we do pray. Amen.